This is the Falcon Twin Podcast from falcontwin.com. I'm Brendan, and this is commentary for pages 40 through 55. Page 40. I always have wondered what they need all those pockets for, and let's start this commentary off with me blowing a big gaping hole in Falcon Twin's plot, and that hole is this. If the police knew ahead of time about this plan to take the teleporter, why didn't they send more security to the site of the lab? Ponder that for a second. Actually, I'm sure that I probably had a reason for this once, but I have since forgotten in the two years intervening. Probably it had something to do with the police not really knowing what these guys were up to until they captured the truck, which they talk about at the end of the page. The truck is how the terrorists intend to get the teleporter out of this lab. On page 34, the old guy talks about his crew arriving to remove the equipment. So, without a truck full of equipment and more terrorists, hopefully with guns, these ones are kind of screwed, as the look on the old guy's face in the last panel suggests. Page 41. It's always funny to watch people who are in a position of absolutely no power at all trying to order other people around, especially if the other people are the ones who actually have power. But old guy is kind of stuck here, and he doesn't really have much of a choice. He sort of deludes himself into thinking that maybe opening fire will solve things. Hey, it worked for the Japanese in World War II, it could work for him too. Note Arab Guy's comment in panel 3. He says that it's possible for him to shoot the police officer, but he doesn't really offer any further comment beyond that. He probably knows that this is a really bad idea. I really like the second to last panel on this page, with the ghosts of the pistol and then the shot, which actually isn't coming straight out of one of the muzzles. Really sort of nice, arty frame. The motion lines look really good in this. I don't know how I did them. Likewise, on the last panel, the motion lines look pretty good there, as does the burst coming out of the muzzle there. Page 42. Headshot. So the carnage begins. The gore looks really cartoony here, both in the bullet entering the police officer's head in the first panel and in the explosion of blood in the third panel. Mika's dialogue in the second panel is totally unconvincing, with the ah, no, which has absolutely no emotion behind it at all. There are some nice background things in panel two, the panel with Mika and Yumiko. You'll notice on the left-hand side, there's a girl standing there staring aghast at what's going on. And to the right of them, there's a guy throwing up. You can see that he's ghosted out a little bit. I put that in and then I thought it was maybe a little bit too obvious. And so I brought it out in Photoshop a little bit so that it didn't stick out quite so much. As far as the return fire thing, I don't know. It seems a little bit far-fetched to me that with 30 kids around, that the SWAT team would just flat out open fire on all of them with automatic weapons. Moreover, if they did, you would think that a SWAT team would be able to be a bit more precise in who they were shooting and actually just take out the terrorists and not all of the students. I really like the background in the last panel. It really looks like a whole bunch of people there. And if you look very closely, you can see Rie and the old guy standing there off to the far left of the crowd. Page 43, Carnage Continues. This part seems a little bit gratuitous, and looking back, I think I may have pushed it a little bit over the top. And I know that it probably sounds strange coming from me saying that there's too much gore here. But I think that it was just not pulled off with as much finesse as it could have been, and it was sort of put as much blood into the comic as possible, and maybe it'll shock people. Even the most extreme of the stuff that I was doing later on, where Mika's ripping out the guy's intestines and stuff, seems a little bit more legitimate than this, which was sort of just a gratuitous opportunity to kill a whole bunch of people. I do like the girl in the third panel holding her dead friend. There's just something incredibly tragic about that. But she doesn't have very long to live either. There's more nice background stuff in panel four, the terrorist holding Rie. You see people getting shot and other people still expressing surprise. Panel five, there's a scream 
From who? We don't know. Vico looks. He won't know until the next page. It's a cliffhanger. It's something that I noticed on this page is that the art is actually a little more consistent than it's been before. So it's not moving around in quality nearly as much as it used to during the prologue and the beginning of chapter one. Page 44, the most pretentious title so far, possibly. You know, I actually interviewed at the company called Page 44 once. Didn't get a job there. So it turns out that, yes, it was indeed Rie who was screaming from the last page. Five points for guessing that correctly. Of course, Rie being shot means that there's probably going to be some difficulty completing the teleporter, but really it was kind of inevitable that in that hail of bullets that she was going to get hit. Maybe it wasn't the best idea for the old guy to use her as a human shield. So with his gun pointed at Rie's temple, old guy is hit by a bullet, and somehow in the fraction of a second between the time that he squeezes the trigger and the gun fires, Mika is able to react and scream. It's a comic, folks. Page 45. I still have mixed feelings about this page. The left-hand side, the first panel, is fine. I think it's suitably arty and pretentious. The second panel is just as over-the-top as I think it probably got in Chapter 1. The blood on the left kind of looks all right, but the rest of it is just sort of ridiculous. It's like blowing up a watermelon or something. The hair on the pieces of watermelon particularly creeped me out. It was kind of a shame to have to kill Rie, but it was sort of a story point, and I really had to kill her because I didn't want there to be any possibility of starting up the project again, people coming back to save her or something. Fortunately for everyone who did like Rie, which I guess is probably me and nobody else, Karma is swift, and Old Guy is killed in the final panel. Again, like in the previous page, he has time to react between the firing of all these bullets and the time in which he is hit. And there's some more background stuff in panels 3 and 4 if you look at it. So, page 46, Rie is gone, Old Guy is gone. It's time to evacuate Mika and Yumiko. And as usual in fantasy and fiction, bullets never hit the heroine at first, and if they do, they never inflict mortal wounds, as we can see. First it grazes Mika's hair, then it grazes Mika's arm. She screams and totally ignores Yumiko, although we do have some nice images of Yumiko reacting as Mika does ignore her and then bails. The perspective in the last panel was kind of fun, and if I had pushed a little bit farther, it could have been really great with Mika sort of running towards the camera. Page 47. This page is one of the few that I still really, really like parts of it. I think the second panel looks pretty great by my standards. Even now, I still like it. The shading looks good. The perspective looks pretty good. The entire page is actually pretty strong, if you ask me, especially for Chapter 1. The last two panels are... Not spectacular, but they're not awful, and a lot of the other panels actually look fairly good. One thing to notice on this page in particular is the backgrounds. Not only the toolbox that Mika knocks over, but also the throng of students as they run to the doors in the background in panel 4. And they're trying to get out, but the doors are locked or something, and so they can't. Keep an eye on that background and, and take a look at it, because it's going to come back in a couple of pages. Page 48. Now this page is, unlike the last one, one that I still regret because I didn't pull it off. The idea was that it was supposed to be a cliffhanger, so at the end of the page you weren't sure whether or not Mika had been shot through the middle of the chest and, you know, killed, or whether she had just been wounded. It would have worked, except for the second-to-last panel where her body is turned towards the viewer so that you can see that she wasn't shot through the middle of the chest. Because otherwise you would have had the profile view in panel 4 with the bullet seeming to go straight through her, and then she would have hit the wall and then slid down in the last panel, and then because where she was shot was beneath the edge of the panel, you wouldn't know exactly where she had been hit. 
At least Mika is in the teleporter now. But isn't she forgetting someone? Page 49. The beginning of this page is just to establish that Mika's arm is indeed useless as a result of her wound, which is basically preparation for Chapter 2 when she gets accosted by the bandits and then saved by Tresca. Panel 4 with Yumiko is the payoff for the background thing two pages ago that I told you to look at. You can see the throng of students is still there, but they couldn't get the doors open, and now one of them has been hit in the head and is slumped down as one of the other students is tending to him, although he's gone, and they're all going to be dead in a couple of pages anyway, so it doesn't matter. Mika's left hand in the last panel looks really, really awesome. As I was saying that her right arm had been wounded, you can see the way that it hangs down in the last panel, sort of limp. Yumiko is kind of a giant in the second-to-last panel. Let's move on. Page 50. So Terrorist Curl is making her last stand with a dead kid in her arms. I heard that Kalashnikovs are kind of difficult to fire this way, so again, a little more suspension of disbelief you have to go there for. And Terrorist Curl sees Yumiko running. Yumiko looks actually pretty good in panel 3, running there from the back. I guess maybe because you can't see her face, but I think the anatomy actually looks fairly good, especially for Chapter 1, like I said, and it looks like she's running. So Terrorist Girl opts for revenge. The firing direction of the gun in the last panel isn't right. It's firing left to right. But Yumiko is running right to left, and the Terrorist Girl is looking right to left. So the gun should be firing right to left. But I didn't do it that way. And I think it was something that I sort of grappled with at the time, too. I seem to recall thinking about that. I ultimately chose to have it go left to right because it was sort of firing off the edge of the page into the next page. But looking back, it would have probably been better if I had been more consistent and had the gun firing right to left. So if I were doing this one again, I would have changed that. Page 51, there's a lovely Photoshop background in the first panel, and in the fourth panel, actually, now that I look at it. So Yumiko takes a bullet for love. Terrorist Girl takes a bullet for being a vindictive whore. Her blood gets into the control panel, and as she collapses onto it, she presses the big red button, which is apparently missing its caution text now further setting a precedent of me shooting holes in my own work. In panel 5, you see a whole bunch of bodies in the background. Not as many as you would have thought. Guess I got lazy there. And page 52, for probably the first time, maybe ever, Yumiko is in more trouble than Mika. At least Mika has the wherewithal to close the door once they're both in it. And if you look on panel 2, it kind of looks like Mika is supporting herself on her right arm, but she actually isn't. It's just that you can't see her hand. So Mika looks down at Yumiko and sees the damage and gives a suitable reaction. Yumiko, of course, is still thinking only of Mika, despite her injury. Page 53, still more wonderful Photoshop backgrounds, this time with a very subtle paper texture that you can't see unless you actually look at it. And a tender moment between Mika and Yumiko here, if perhaps a bit melodramatic. I sort of like Yumiko's look in panel 3, a sort of peaceful look up at Mika with her hair spread to the sides. There's a little detail thing you'll notice that when Yumiko wipes Mika's tears off her face in panel 2, she leaves a little smear of blood there on Mika's face, which you can see in panel 4 and then also in subsequent pages. And Yumiko is just about to say something at the end of this page, but page 54. The title, obviously, of this page is an homage to Calvin and Hobbes. The book Scientific Progress goes boink. I was never very happy with the effects on this page. You can see the distortion, and it, actually, if you look closely, you can also see the wormhole in panel three, the three sort of energy prongs and the swirlies between it. And it does look like the upper part of the teleporter is distorted there. There's also distortion in panel four, but most of it is just on that railing behind Mika and Yumiko, and since that's behind the text, you can't really see it. 
And the effect in the final panel I was totally unhappy with, and I still am. I wanted the shaft of light in the background to be more concentrated vertically and, and more narrow. And I also wanted the characters themselves to be more blurred vertically. I have no idea why I had a problem with that, because it seems like a fairly straightforward thing to do, and I don't think I would have a problem with it now. But maybe at the time I was struggling with Photoshop. So Mika clutches Yumiko close to her, and off they go. Last appearance in the chapter. But of course, that's only the second to last page in the chapter, so page 55, I wrap everything up. Arab guy somehow survived the hail of bullets, but not for much longer. I like the look of the exploding teleporter in panel 3. It, it seems to have a pretty good volume, the way the teleporter metal is wrapped around the explosion, although it is a very clean explosion. There's no debris, there's no fire, there's no haze or light flare or anything like that. Of course, the exploding teleporters cause other stuff to explode, I guess, and the entire building goes up. I guess the technology was more dangerous than they realized. Which is to further drive home the point that there's no rescue party on the way, and Mika and Yumiko are stuck forever in the new world. The newspaper clipping on the last page of chapter one was something... I don't know, it, it seems a little too on the nose and obvious, and it's not really conveying a whole lot of new information but it seemed like I needed something to end the chapter more than just the building blowing up. So I guess this kind of does the job, and it certainly offers a, a pretty final summary of the chapter. So looking back on chapter one in general, I've never really been sure if this was the way that I wanted to get Mika from Earth to Terralith Brigir. I always felt a little uncomfortable with it. I don't know why, because it's been, well, over two years since I finished the chapter, and since then I still haven't had anything occur to me that seemed like it would have been better. I haven't really had anything else occur to me at all as far as other ways to go through the basic idea of having a character from our world end up in this other world. And that leads me to talk about why I decided to have a story about a person from our world in a different world. And there are a few reasons for that. One of them was that it's more familiar. The reader has more in common, more of a common ground and point of view with the main character than if everyone was all from this different fantasy world where all the rules were different and people weren't quite as sure what was going on. It also lets me get away with murder from an exposition standpoint, which is that normally if you have a world where everyone is familiar with everything going on, you have to have people telling each other things that they all already know, or else you have to leave the reader totally out of the loop. But with Mika being from our world, she can ask all the questions that a person from our world might ask about what's going on. Now those are just reasons that it's convenient to have a character from our world end up in another world. But it also ties into the plot. There are ramifications of Mika being from another world that become more important later on, and you've only gotten hints of it so far. Those who are paying attention might have picked up on some of it. For that reason, it was kind of necessary to have someone from another world Although, like I said, for some reason I'm still not entirely certain about the way of getting her there. But at least it's more plausible than a tornado, right? So that's all for Chapter 1. Thanks for listening, and I will talk to you next time about Chapter 2, Refugee. So there.